Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to The Reluctant Agilist. I am very excited that Joanna Rothman's here, so thank you very much for taking time out of your afternoon. And I'm delighted to be here. So for a long time, every summer, I would go to the Agile Conference, and I think every single time, you were like the first person that I would get to interview. It's always like a great way to kick it off. But now we're doing this one ahead of time because the pandemic changed the world. And the person who is the most prolific writer I know, who used to write a book a year, suddenly went bizarro level of productivity. And you wrote five books in the first year, right? Something like that? No, no, Ten three. Books? Three. Just only three. three. <laughs> and now you got two more. I do. I do. I do. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, before we talk about the books, how do you explain to people what you do? Because you do so, a lot of things. Well, I tell them I'm a consultant all okay. around managing product development. And okay. these days I'm trying to work more with senior leaders and preferably okay. as a trusted advisor. So they can talk to me when they have time and then okay. they don't need to know a specific outcome. Now I still do my practical product leadership and, and the writing workshops and, and the project management workshops. But, um, you know, as I, as I age, Dave, I'm realizing that I have a lot more experience and if I can support people who are at, um, who have a lot of influence in the organization, right. that's, it's really fulfilling for me and it really helps them. So it's a win-win. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah. All right. So I'm going to tell a little, I want to talk a little bit about this. So when you put out the distributed teams book, you and Mark wrote that book. Um, one of the things I tell people in class when I talk about it is, I was reading that book thinking, oh, well, that's cool. That, but they'll never have an answer for, oh, damn, there it is. And at every question that I get asked, and I was like, there's no answer. You guys had an answer for. And I started your new book, the book about consulting. And it was 10 times worse because not only were you answering questions I didn't have answered to, you were asking, answering questions I was purposely avoiding. I was so irritated by the book that after three chapters, I ordered the, the hard copy because I couldn't deal with all the notes I was putting in my Kindle anymore. So, I mean, annoyed in a great way, but annoyed in a way I didn't really want to be annoyed. So, <laughs> I mean, well, that is the highest, highest compliment I can offer. Yeah, really, <laughs> thank you, thank you, yeah. But that's one of the cool things about Joanna's books is that they always seem to, your books seem to go right to the stuff that people need and often that they're afraid to, at least for what I find it's difficult to voice or difficult to ask about. And that's very much true in, I'm gonna read the title, Successful Independent Consulting Relationships That Focus on Mutual Benefit. Yeah, yeah. And and this is, um, this book is from hard earned experience, mostly mine, some other people, but yeah, hard earned experience. And it's not just, I would say, I mean, it's not just for consultants, anybody who is looking for work or looking to build their career. I mean, the exercises in the beginning of the book are going to profoundly change the way they see themselves and, and present themselves, I would think. So, yeah, I, I actually wrote that your value, um, the, the first chapter about 
the value that you bring that's called define your unique value um yeah i was really hoping all those agile coaches would read it because you and i you and i both see i mean everybody calls themselves an agile coach yeah it's even worse than management consultant which when I introduced myself, right, I said, I'm a management consultant around the issues of managing product development. Because there are so many people who are independents now, and we need yeah. to somehow differentiate ourselves. So why not say what you do? And, oh, those agile coaches. Oh, yeah. Well, but this is one of those things that is super uncomfortable because in order for me to answer your question, I have to first admit to myself that I have value and then go figure out what it is and then figure out how I'm different or better than somebody else. And who am I to think that I'm better than that guy? And really, they've read more books than me and have more experience than me. And and then I'm just going to go watch TV now. This is why imposter syndrome and keeping up your self-esteem is so, so important, right? We all have, I mean, I think everybody suffers from imposter syndrome every so often. I yeah. certainly do. And, and let's not get started on all the books other people either read or write. I, yeah. I mean, I, I thank you for, for giving me the compliment of, of writing all those books. But, you know, I'm kind of a piker compared to other people. And it's, it's that comparisonitis that really yeah. hurts us in the end. So we, we bring a whole lot of value and the more we can recognize it, the better we are for it. Okay. Now, were you always like this clear about this stuff? Or I, I felt like in that first couple of chapters, you made me look at things that I didn't even realize I was ignoring. And I'm wondering if you always had that insight or if it's just like in the, you know, if it came along the way, like if you always so, had really good self-esteem and know what your value was. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I, I really lucked out with my parents, okay. my parents, my parents, um, did all kinds of stuff to help me with self-esteem, including okay. failing, right? They, they allowed me to fail when yeah. I was a kid. And, and they said, now, how are you going to pick yourself up and keep going? And that, okay. that was when, when we have small failures, right? When, when it's not our lives at stake, yeah. we, we really can build our self-confidence and self-esteem. Yeah. I, <laughs> my husband, um, does not listen to me anymore when I'm really, um, when I'm really positive of something, yeah. I mean, we have been married for 38 years, so he's learned uh, a couple yeah. things along the way. But every time, every time I'm positive of something, he he asks, "Is this true, or did you just decide it?" Decide. So, so um, everything in the book is either true or experience. So I didn't okay. just decide it. Uh, but yeah, it's, um, when I first started to teach the consulting cohorts, I realized the, these people with all kinds of strengths were not, were not figuring out what their strengths were. They did yeah. not know how to talk about their value. So I, while I, I recognized that, um, 
I didn't have all the words around it until I started to teach the workshops. Okay. So do you find that some people have like part of those pieces and some, I mean, like I felt there were some questions that you would ask in the book that I have like instant answers to. And there's other questions where yeah. I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard. It's the book is, I'm just as somebody who's going through it, it's hard work to have to like sit there and think through that stuff and, and like be brave enough to answer it. I, well, I mean, you, how long have we known each other, Dave? A long time. Over uh, 10 years. Possibly a couple of decades. A long, yeah. long time. Yeah. yeah. So um, I am not very afraid of much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just not. I, yeah. I am one of those people. And, and I think that it really helps when it comes time to make a decision about a career. Because okay. even if you, even, even if I had stayed inside an organization, right. I was not afraid to go for the next thing that I thought uh, would be really fun. Now, yeah. notice I did not say the next thing up the ladder or the next thing um, for more money. I said more fun because for me, the fun is in the learning. So okay. um, that's. And that's all my, um, my personal values. And yeah. when, when I think about that and think about being afraid or not afraid to me, it's all, it's all interrelated. Okay. Would, would you, I mean, kind of working around towards that, would you mind sharing a little bit of the story about you making all the phone calls when you first went into consulting and telling everybody? Oh, sure. I, I had a pretty strong reaction to that one, but <laughs> so my boss, my boss told me I was um, fired by saying, you're not going to move into the new building. And I said, oh, are we keeping this building? She said, no, you're just not going to move into the new building. And I said, are you firing me? She said, yeah. Wow. And I said, I know, I know. I said, okay. Um, and this was three weeks before the move. So it okay. was three weeks before Labor Day in 1994. And, okay. um, and she said, I think you should be a consultant. And I said, I agree. And so that's when, that's when I, I first figured out what the heck am I going to do? Well, I knew I knew I could offer a couple of different workshops. That was okay. that. So that was okay. So I knew I had something to offer and I knew that people needed it because this, the company that was firing me desperately needed it. So, <laughs> so that, that was not a question. Um, and then I figured I really need to contact people and tell them I'm available for work. Yeah. So I, I, this is, this is before smartphones. This is really kind of before the internet. I had, I had cards in a Rolodex, right? That thing that, that turns around. The phone black. connected to a wall. <laughs> yeah. So, so I actually, I actually, um, started in the A's and I, I okay. did not even ask, is this person even useful? 
I just said, I, I need, I need a script. Otherwise I was going to go off into never, never land. Cause okay. as you, as you well know, I love to talk. So, <laughs> so I, I had a little script so I could call somebody and we, okay. we still had voicemail at that time. So I, I could either call and talk to them in real time or talk to them in, in a voicemail. And okay. I said, I'm Johanna Rothman and I'm starting a consulting business focused on these things. And I would love if you know of anybody who needs my work, I would love it if you would either tell me or tell them. And in the meantime, let me know how I can support you. And that was it. That was the voicemail I left. Um, of okay. course, all, all the real time conversations got a little bit longer, but yeah. Um, uh, and by the time I got to the else, I had work. Okay. So, so did I like cold calling? Oh God, no. Okay. No, it was horrible. So that's a, there's a part of me that is imagining you just like getting fired and immediately going home and sitting down and calling people. But I mean, having been a person looking for work and in that situation before my the way I remember it is like you start to do something and after like two or three calls, like your energy just collapses and you just want to go and just, you know, you're just supposed to keep making the calls, but they'll do it later. It's hard to keep your energy going and keep pushing through. And you got all the way through your Rolodex. And I'm wondering, like, for people that are struggling with that part, what what kept you going? Like, how did you keep pushing yourself forward? I believe coffee had some something to do with it. I would, <laughs> I would make myself a coffee at the end of every five calls. And oh, I so never, called, okay. I, I had a reward. Yeah. Well, yeah, I might've started with coffee and then rewarded myself with coffee. Yeah. Um, I also, I, I wanted to do more than just call people. Right. So I also made brochures. I mean, anytime you start a new business, there's all these pieces that you need yeah. to do. So I have, excuse me, I happen to use personal Kanban from okay. our friends, um, Jim and, and Tony. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause that's that, that was, I didn't know about that yet, but I knew okay. that I could not call everybody all day long. That was, right. that Too would much. be horrible. But uh, yeah. every five calls I could reward myself with a little coffee, not okay. chocolate, because chocolate adds to the hips. So coffee was fine. Medicinal yeah. chocolate, though. There's medicinal chocolate you have to have periodically. Um, periodically, I am quite capable of having it every 45 minutes. So no. <laughs> if it's worth doing, <laughs> it's worth overdoing. <laughs> so, so, so I did that and, and I, so I was, it was a combination of cold calling people, getting okay. workshops ready, um, thinking about where to speak and where to write all the things that you need to do to market yourself. Yeah. And so it was everything in, in the presence, um, in the presence chapter, which is build presence with active marketing, which okay. I would do, I will do almost anything not to do that okay good because that's the part where i was going through that thinking like oh my god i'm i don't want to do any of this and there's a 
a part of me, just in case somebody's looking for like a career path out there that feels like people that do what we do should have agents who do all that for us and take some of the money. So we don't have to. Um, but that, but that to me, the book kind of lays out like a playbook. If you're trying to set yourself up as a consultant, step by step, here's some guidelines you can follow, including stuff that one of the problems I knew I had, but I didn't know how to name it, which was the economic buyer or the financial buyer. That's, that's the one we're chasing, yeah. right? Economic buyer. Yeah. yeah. Could you talk a little bit about that part? Because I'm sure there's other people that struggle with that as well. So I, in that chapter, I had a whole long story because that happens to me all the time, right? So you meet somebody at a conference and they right. say, I love your work. We need you. And then you realize they have no money to spend. Yeah. They are not, they are not the, the person who can, who can write the checks. So yeah. they might be a coach buyer. They might be a technical buyer. They might even be um, any other, they might be a vetoer, but they are not capable of actually buying your services. And they can introduce you, that would make them the coach buyer to the person with the money. And okay. the person with the money has different interests than the person you meet at a conference. Right. So in my, when this has happened to me, because it just happened, I spent like two months talking to somebody every couple of days, gave them a statement of work, revised the statement of work twice. And then we were like four weeks out of the classes and I'm like, what's up? You haven't signed the statement of work? Like, oh, we're not going to do it. I, I can't get it signed. I'm like, <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to tell when you don't have the economic buyer. But I also feel like you kind of have to jump through all those hoops because those people are gatekeepers too, aren't they? And they can block you. Yeah. Well, they can. And that's why it's really useful to have a discovery call even okay. if it's not with the economic buyer. Because okay. when you say on the discovery caller, there are bounds around this project that are either in terms of money or time. Mm -hmm. and, and then they say, oh, what do, you, what do you mean by that? And then you say, uh, if you're the consultant, you might say, how, I, I actually say, how much signature authority do you have? Yeah, and they and they'll answer that well yeah because okay. if they don't have any signature authority they say oh i need to bring this to my boss and that's when i say okay um i really should talk with your boss and make sure your boss wants the same outcomes as you do because yeah. your boss might want more your boss might want different you might yeah you might only see a piece of the problem. That's why clients do see signals, but they don't always see the problems. Yeah. So signals being like the, the thing that shows up, but it's not the cause of the right. thing that shows up. Okay. Right. Right. I'm, the part that I'm really stuck on is how I would have that conversation with somebody who I realize like, you're not, you don't have the juice to get this done, but I don't want to be like, Hey, can you go get your dad for me? Cause uh, you're clearly not the, the guy. 
or you know it's like obviously i wouldn't say it like that but how how do you say that to somebody without damaging their ego or making them feel like you're saying like it's nice that you're here and all but you're clearly not the, the person i need to be with so i actually had a conversation like that uh, a couple of weeks ago and okay well, what i said was what is your signature authority what 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 kind of project are we really talking about because from what you're saying you need x y and z and x okay. y and z all together is kind of a big sum of money Take an item. And, okay. and that's when he said i have five thousand dollars of signature authority and do you and spit said, take um <laughs> and i said you know, I don't know how to divide this up into several instances of 5K. Oh, okay. And I I bet your boss has more signature authority. So why don't we start? The, and I, I this was inside the discovery call, right? Yeah. So I had not, I had not, um, quote, wasted, end of quote, yeah. my time, right? Okay. And this is because... It's also a discovery. Are are you talking with the economic buyer? And then you you don't get stuck into these conversations where the very nice person is afraid to tell you. Oh, I don't really have yeah. that much authority. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why make it hard for that person, right? Why not make it easy for them to say, "Oh, yeah, maybe my boss can buy." your services okay. or worse my boss's boss yeah yeah okay <laughs> I, and it's also i'm kind of protecting their time too because then that way they won't have to keep jumping through the hoops as well okay yeah and um I, it's probably also important to remember that even though this person doesn't have signature authority in this moment in this job doesn't mean you have a story in the book about down the road that person will end up somewhere else and they might call you. Oh, and that's, that's happened to me more times than I can imagine. I, I never thought that would happen. Right. But, but people are saying, absolutely not. We're not going to have you, you know, Johanna go away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they call me later two or three or even five or 10 years later and say, are you still in business? <laughs> and yes, I am. So, and that's why LinkedIn is so helpful to stay in touch okay. with these people and, and an email newsletter, um, because once they get on my email newsletter, yeah. I have people tend to stay on until they retire. They should, they should still stay on, but yeah, that's fine. So you, you talk about that a lot in the book. And, and one of the things I was thinking about was like, I mean, that is you speaking directly to people. I mean, I've been podcasting since 2008 and people, I, I know people subscribe to it on, you know, SoundCloud and places like that, but I've never tried to leverage that in any way. I mean, you're using it as a, a, a tactic to, to reach out to them. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so can we, maybe we can switch to start talking to start talking about the other book too because the content generation the way you use it and that's a big part of the consulting book but also figuring out how to do all that writing as part of your other book your books have the longest titles free your inner nonfiction writer educate influence and entertain your readers 
That's that's because Amazon is really a search engine. Okay. Okay. Oh, all right. These are all meta tags. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So that's right. why that's why my nonfiction books have very long titles. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Yeah. So this book is all about writing, and we've talked about your writing process before and how you write in these short bursts, but you're always writing. Yeah. Um, yeah. During the pandemic, a lot of people wrote books. A lot of people tried to write books. Um, what is what is the aim of this book? So this book is specifically about shorter pieces that you okay. might want to blog, that you might want to write as articles, and and to get going with the habit of writing. Because okay. I, for me, writing is a muscle, and if I if I don't write for a week while I'm on vacation, I don't have any trouble um, getting that muscle going again. Uh, right. But if I'm, if I take more than a couple of weeks off, I actually have trouble getting started again. So okay. I, I wrote this book for me with the idea bank and the field zones. The, the field zones are from Jerry Weinberg. I totally, I, I probably quote him, you know, a bunch of times in that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and well, and also in the consulting book, because yeah. I learned so much from him. And I find that the um, mo most people don't need to write a book to have the benefits of, of um, uh, search engine optimization and having people know you exist. Most okay. people only, and I, I put that in quotes, only need to write an email newsletter once or twice a month, or mm -hmm. if you're not going to blog, um, once a week, right? You don't have to write every single day to make a difference, especially if you're a consultant. Okay. Right. And you actually have all this IP from all of your podcasting, right? Yeah. I, I, I think people know you. I mean, I certainly have known you as a podcaster forever. So yeah. if, if you only, and I'm not sure how easy this is, because I'm not right. sure if you do transcript or not. But even if you only took one idea from every single podcast episode and said, what one thing do I want to, to write about either today on my blog or this week for my newsletter. Yeah. You have how many, how many oh, podcasts, yeah. right? Yeah. Just one idea. And, and then it it's just be, building on that. Right. It could be as quote simple as um, the difference between different guests. Right. Okay. So I think, I think you had Howard Sublet on a yeah. few weeks oh. ago. Yeah. Yep. Maybe by this time, a couple of months ago, um, you might actually write about the difference between Howard and maybe someone like me or someone like Jim Benson or someone like Ray. You I might contrast. James Grenning. Amazing. Perfect. Amazing guy. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Right. Yeah. So, so Howard and I talk more about management leadership stuff. Jim Grunning talks a lot more about team-based, code-based stuff, right? Um, and you you could contrast what you learned from each of them. 
you, yeah. how how you interview each of us, right? If you only did that, which um, I realize is not a trivial thing, but no. you could <laughs> you could do that and write five hundred words once a yeah. week. Um, now you've got an email newsletter. Okay, so so let's say that I I yes right. A lot of people start out with great intention and then they start to write. And the same thing happens to me is you start to write and you go down a little bit of a rabbit hole and then you're like, yeah, who's going to listen to this? Nobody wants to hear what I have to say. Or, you know, you, that self-doubt creeps in. How do yeah. you keep that at bay as a writer? Because I'm sure that still happens. That must still happen, right? Even though you've been doing oh, yeah. it for so long. Yeah. Okay. Well, every so often I say, oh, people aren't going to like this. And then I say, why do you care what other people think? All right. Why? I mean, really, channel my inner, who is it? Richard Feynman, the physicist who actually yeah. wrote a book called, Why Do You Care What Other People Think? I mean, <laughs> everyone, I mean, I write stuff to the best of my ability. I still get feedback that says people don't get it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. they don't, or or they deliberately uh, misinterpret it. Mm -hmm. I should be more generous. Maybe they're not deliberately misinterpreting it. It feels like that to me. So, yeah. yeah. So I I can only control what I do, and okay. I don't have a whole lot of time to waste on my writing. I have other things to write. So. I, right. I sit down, I set my timer for 15 minutes, I write, and I I cycle, which is not editing, it's clarifying ideas, right? Okay. So the more I clarify as I go, the less editing I need. And then I edit it and I publish it because okay. life is too short to keep mumbling on the same thing. Yeah. I really like your explanation of it as, as being like writing code. I thought that was really fascinating. Um, yeah. Kind of the mechanics of it. Would you mind talking about the, the, the corrections you want to make in terms of how people think about writing? Because the second one of them um, had a deep impact on me. Um, <laughs> which one? Which the outlining one? Was that? one. The outlining, oh, the, the not outline. Yeah, because that's what so I the, was taught. You have to do that. So that's the problem, right? We have all these rules from our English teachers who um, didn't want to read what we had to write. That that's because. <laughs> sorry, I'm so excited. That's because um, they, they how especially if you're dealing with nine and ten and eleven year olds. Yeah. They have no insights. I mean, they barely can regurgitate what they actually wrote, what they yeah. actually read. So um, English teachers always ask you to write a topic sentence. That's not starting with the problem. That that has nothing to do with bringing the reader into your writing. Yeah. But when you start with a problem, then the reader says, oh... I might want to read this, right? So yeah. if you if you start from an outline, you shortcut your thinking and learning because 
the other thing English teachers don't tell you is that once once you're an adult and you write from your expertise, you are thinking and learning as you write, which is why writing is so hard for us. Yeah. Right? We are, we are, I, I, I learned something new this morning. You know how there's always the thing on Twitter, I was this age when I learned, you know, yes. blah, blah, blah. Um, I learned something this morning. So about me and about my writing and all that stuff. And I thought, oh, I wonder why I didn't know that before. I just didn't. So, okay. It's fine. Yeah. So part of the writing then for you is still learning and keeping you excited about what you're doing. Because that, that's when I talk with James Grenning, one of the things that, that he was so got lit up when he talked about writing code. Like, I mean, it was like a 25 year old talking about writing code and that that spark that I see in people that I, let me try to think of the best way to say this. People that could have bought me beer when I was a teenager. You could have bought me beer when I was a teenager. Um, I'm I'm fascinated by that that spark that keeps you keeps you writing keeps you learning and and you've found a way to do it that's like self-propelling which is really amazing so i i like to think of my writing as prototypes okay so back when we and i'm i'm writing a book about life cycles and why we should not have faux agile and why we should use iterative and incremental approaches that don't challenge our culture because it's just okay. nuts um but we i mean i came from a world of uh, create prototypes so the customer or somebody could look at them right. and in when i'm writing i am the re the my first reader mm -hmm. so i need to be able to figure out what i'm saying and yeah. i i mean i wrote this the free your inner nonfiction writer, the chapter about logic, because I, I have often realized I, I, I have that final sentence at the end at, that should be at the end at the beginning. Yeah. Huh. Okay. I, I do all of this all the time, all the time. So this time I want to tie back to the other book for a second, because one of the things you say in the other book is your first customer you have to convince is yourself. Yeah. And it sounds like this is part of you understanding who you're selling to, convincing yourself, getting yourself to be able to believe in it. And that's going to help you articulate it in a way that will draw the customers you want. Because you, you talk a lot about that, too, about how you're once you figure out the problem you want to solve, then you can go figure out, find the people you want to solve it for. Right. Right. Which is very much living in a state of the idea of abundance with customers, right? Yeah. There are actually plenty of people who need what we have to offer, right? Dave, you, I, I, I'm not sure if you would want this. You could do a workshop every week for the next 20 years. I'm, not, I'm sure you would not want that. And people <laughs> would still do it wrong. <laughs> yeah. You, people yeah. would still do it wrong. So, um, I mean, there are no end of people who really need what you and I have to offer. Right. So it's really important that we, we are clear on what we have to offer.
and that we take we take the self-esteem this hard-earned self-esteem and use yeah. it to propel us forward so i want to ask you a question about agile for a second with what you just said because okay. it kind of sparks yeah. something to me we, we both have some similarities in our background and that we came up through the waterfall you took the agile better than i did i was dragged kicking and screaming into it but that background is still fairly or the people that thought leaders in the agile space that's still a fairly unique stance to be somebody who comes from that and promotes himself as that there's all the people that say like oh it's done agile's over like the moment's gone you know but i'm figuring as long as people are still signing up for pmp classes they're going to show up at a scrum class someday because it's step by step right yeah i mean so i actually write for projectmanagement.com so right? I. I write yeah yeah and and the reason i write for them is because i get to write about agile topics and mm -hmm. i don't know how to get to the people who are still trying to predict every single thing about their projects unless yeah. i tell them stories unless I invite them into my writing. I mean, um, there, there actually was something very useful about waterfall back in my day, which is we canceled projects. If at the requirements phase took too long <laughs> and we already used half the money for the project, we stopped yeah. right there. We canceled. Yeah. Right. Cause and the thinking was, if it was so hard to get the requirements right, think the about the impossible, yeah. Right. So the, we actually canceled projects back in the 70s and the early 80s. And then I, I went to a combination iterative and incremental, and I used to time box requirements all the time because I saw too many requirements help projects, right? We, you yeah. stay stuck in requirements forever. Forever. So I, yeah. So I, um, that's why I'm writing this life cycles book because there are people who, there are always going to be organizations that want to focus on what the individual can offer. And yeah. the more managers lead in resource efficiency thinking, the less likely they can have an agile culture. So why would I want to, in, why would I want those people to try for an agile culture. Instead, why not make their feedback loops obvious and okay. and purposeful? And um, I'm I'm on the feedback loop chapter. In case you can't tell, and 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 figure out how how to make a project work that's successful for both the people on the team and yeah. the customers of the product. I mean, that's really what I care about. All right. So do you think we are heading towards a place where, well, let me, let me back up. If I talk to somebody who's in like their early twenties that works in a digital agency, they generally don't know the difference between agile and waterfall. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. if we're heading to a place where, and maybe this ties into some Jim Benson stuff too. We're just trying to create humane systems that help people thrive and build good stuff in the best possible way without getting stuck in these like, oh, you're not lean enough. Oh, you're not whatever enough. Cause who cares? 
Really? Um, my most recent newsletter, which I sent out, I think on Sunday, was about being effective. Mm -hmm. And I said, this will also give you business agility. But if you don't care about business agility, it's effective. And okay. my readers like effective. Some of them really like the humane stuff I do. Yeah. Some of them, I think, thinks. I'm pretty sure some of the hard-boiled eggs I write to. And I I am a hard-boiled egg. I, I, am. I have that voice in the back of my head right now going, it's work. It's not supposed to be humane. You want humane, <laughs> yeah. go to the so, zoo. <laughs> so I, I never actually said that. But I, I, I have said things back in my 30s. Thank God I've learned since then. Um, and for those people who don't know, I'm in my 60s. Yeah. I just get older. I was, older I was gonna say you were you were beyond your thirties. I think that would have been <laughs> yeah, yeah, slightly beyond your thirties. Yeah, um, but I, um, but that's when I realized that if I wanted to be more effective as a manager, I needed mm -hmm. to look at the whole person and especially the whole system. And yeah. if I if I could make the system that I could influence humane, people really delivered for me. And that's yeah. that's what I'm trying to do with this new book, okay. which was what I tried to do with the free or inner nonfiction writer and um, successful independent consulting. Right? It's it's actually what I do with all my books. I mean, you're, so just for anybody who's not read any of Jana's books, there I, I find they're different. I mean, they're different because the, your voice is one that is giving very clear step-by-step -step instructions on how to do stuff that we all have these problems. But like for me, at least with the consulting book, there's some of the problems that I struggle to articulate, like finding the right buyer. Cause I know that's a problem, but I've never articulated that before. And when I got to that part in the book, I was like, damn, that's exactly what's wrong. I can't find the guy or I get people in my classes and they're like, Hey, can you do come to our company? I'm like, yeah, but I know you can't make that happen. I mean, I don't right. say that, but you know. Well, and and that's when that's a great opportunity for you to say, "Who do I need to talk to to make that happen?" Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm going to have to practice. I just, I, I think my inner voice is afraid it's going to come come across sounding like I'm being condescending. Um, I so you are such a a nice guy, and I mean that in the best possible term that right. you are you have this inner goodness and inner um wonder and inner wanting to do the best by yeah, the people in the classes and the people who listen to the podcast so as long as long as you don't say it like me oh who do i have to talk to which i have been known to say stuff like that because i'm not always nice um yeah. but if you ask it from a place of curiosity, I think you are okay. Totally fine. So just yeah. tamp down my uh, Philadelphia upbringing and try to let the good parts come out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I I think I think in Philly, yeah, people are still nice in Philly. Yeah, you should visit Philly more. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is really good. I I I'm really glad that you reached out because it's always I get so excited to get to talk to you about this stuff because. I'm very inspired by you and your work. So thank you for doing this. Oh, um, thank you. 
So I know they can buy them electronically on LeanPub, and I'm going to have links to all your stuff, and on Amazon. Um, is there a preferred? My, my books are everywhere. So okay. the the ebook is everywhere. Um, they can order it from their bookstore. The um, it's on Overdrive, so the library should have it. All okay. my books are everywhere. I do not have audio yet. I am. Uh, I'm really stuck on audio because Why? I well, ACX is. Um, I can say this to you because you're from Philly. Um, there's sure. a Yiddish word called Schnorr, which uh -huh. is a person who would steal the shirt off his mother's back. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I have books up. I have some audio books up on Amazon and I get, um, mostly I get something like a dollar 50 for every sale. Okay. Their, their list price is 1999. Yeah. And I wow. get a dollar 50. I know. You might as well be on iTunes. Okay. Um, well, and I, so so the modern management made easy books are everywhere. The, those audio books are everywhere except Amazon, right? Wow. Uh, except okay. for Audible, ACX, yeah. whatever it is. And I'm uh, I am suspicious that AI audio is the next thing for audio books. In which yeah. case, I mean, my I'm sure oh, because they can just take your voice print. Wow. Or even Damn. anybody else's deep fake the whole thing. Voice. Yeah. Anybody else's voice. So um yeah. Wow. So I am I am holding off on audio until I know a little bit more about AI audio. And yeah. then right now ACX is not allowing AI audio. But okay. um Google Play will, as is, soon as they figure it out. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that. So I am which which will bring the cost of audiobooks down, right. which means that changes the whole subscription model, which yeah. might much uh, will mean I will actually get money from my audiobooks. Okay. It's a shame right. there's not some so, independent way you could do it, where you could have it, you know, hosted well, somewhere else where you got all the money. Um, I'm working on a store for my site, yeah. Cool. So eventually eventually but this is all right in the business model axes in the consulting book talk about this right yeah. how will you make money how many ways can you make money so i'm i'm working on it this is awesome well thank you thank you for writing the book i can't wait to get back and be more annoyed by reading it <laughs> that's fabulous <laughs> that's hysterical uh, i can't wait to tell my husband that <laughs> well and please let me know when the next one's ready because i would love to talk about that too i i will let you know thank you cool yeah all right thank you yeah. very much for your time today thank you i had such a blast thanks so much this was fun Sucks.